Welcome to the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast, where we learn from real estate professionals across the industry. They will share about how they got into real estate, the big wins they have celebrated, the mistakes they have made along the way, and the advice they have for anyone following in their footsteps. Money really does grow on trees. Hey everybody, it's William Holland here for another episode of the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast. I've got a special guest here today, Jerome Maldonado. He's a, a serial entrepreneur and has got a really strong background in real estate as well. Um, he's originally from New Mexico. So Jerome, I'll let you take it away, man. Tell us a little bit about yourself. William, good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate you. Um, so yes, I, I grew up in New Mexico, left to Texas, lived in Texas, Virginia, and Florida for a short, for a short time. And Texas for a good while and um, kind of started on this business entrepreneur journey back in the uh, early 1990s. Um, got involved in multi-level marketing in direct sales and network marketing with a company called Equinox, um, not the gyms. Uh, we were selling water filters back in the day. And that's really where our journey started, um, was mentored through that industry for about four and a half years, um, struggled for a good few years in the early years. And figured it out about two and a half years into it and became a top money earner with that company and a trainer for them. And um, through that, we uh, the FTC landed up shutting us down in 1997. We just grew too fast. We were the private, we were the first, we were the fastest growing privately held company in American history in 1995. And 1997, the FTC had shut us down. Um, and we, I, I started my independent entrepreneur journey at that time, um, doing all kinds of things from... Um, small sales companies, um, dibble-dabbled in real estate, um, drywall and concrete predominantly. We still own the concrete company today. Started building single-family homes in 99, um, evolved into commercial real estate in, in uh, 2000, and uh, started building it ground up in 2004. And uh, we've evolved through the, uh, the construction trade in residential and commercial real estate since then. Uh, which has kind of brought us to today. We're living through our third recession right now, and so we've uh, we've had a little journey. It's been fun, and we've uh, lots of up, a lot of ups and downs, like everything. Uh, but the end result has been very rewarding. Yeah, that's really awesome. I'd, I'd kind of like to just go down the list of of all your experiences and and kind of understand how that has influenced where you're at and and given you the skills that you you need to succeed in the things that you're doing today. So with the with Equinox, you know, and, and that was really heavy on sales. So how is how is having that sales backgrounds and having that skill set of, you know, motivating people to to see the, the opportunities that you're giving? How has that helped you? Know you know, that, that was uh, that that's probably been the pinnacle of all our success right there is that foundation. Um, we use that every single day, the psychology of selling just in uh, even in negotiating real estate deals. Um, we uh the, the foundation, you can't replace the time we spent on the phones and the time we spent in front of people, in front of a room. Um, that training indefinitely is grueling of a process as it was back in that day and age has been the foundation to everything that we've done um, and everything that we still do. Um, the way we train our people today, um, it has been the pillar of strength that has kept us, uh, that has kept us in this industry. Um, I don't think that I would have made it through everything we've made it through without that foundation first. Yeah, I agree with you, you know, and, and something I would say about sales as well is you have to be comfortable with rejection. 
you know, because you're, you're only going to close a very small percentage of sales right at the end of the day. And so just having that, that mentality of like, man, I'm just going to keep swinging. I'm going to keep punching. I'm going to keep taking steps forward. And eventually, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get some results, hopefully. Yeah, no, it is. And, you know, business is rejection, right? So you're, you're, you're pulling out the, the, the small needles in a haystack of clients that are coming your way. And, um, you know, you get better at it over the years. And so when you, it's nice when you have a product that, that everybody needs, you know, and that's why the concrete company has been our, uh, has been our backbone to our cash flow for over 25 years now um, is because every, there's concrete everywhere. Right. So we're, you know, we, when you uh, have a foundation of hard sales in an industry where you're selling something that nobody knows they need and nobody wants, but you still sell it and um, you make a living doing that. Um, selling concrete that's under everybody's tennis shoes every single day becomes a lot simpler, right? And so it's been the foundation to everything that we've done in the construction trade and the development trade and the real estate trade. And um, it's helped us just kind of pioneer this this crazy journey that we've lived the last uh, 30 years. Yeah, that's really cool. So with with concrete, obviously, you didn't have a background in that. And, and you know, some of the other things like you, you just kept branching out into different things. So how do you build teams? How do you connect with the right people to be able to be successful in, in new endeavors like that? Um, you know, we, there's a book called Think and Grow Rich that I think is probably one, like one of the first go to's in entrepreneurship for most people, you know, and um, I know most Holy people. Yeah, old, good old Napoleon Hill. And, uh, you know, that that commission study that he did for 25 years, it serves all of us good. You know, he talks about utilizing the uh, the talents and efforts of other people that have talents and efforts that you don't have the bandwidth or the knowledge and wisdom. in. And I always took that to heart. You know, we um, when we when I started in the in the construction trade, I didn't have any construction experience. I mean, I, I did a little bit of laboring and construction in the early 1990s when I was in college, sanding drywall, but that was it. I, I didn't have like true construction experience. And um, I just knew that there was other people that had experience in construction, concrete, drywall, metal stud framing that I didn't have. And so I simply just found those people and hired them and I put them to work. Um, I learned how to bid the projects by, um, by reading plans, didn't know what I was doing. Just I would bid things in those day and age with what I felt was extremely high. And the way I felt was I had nothing to lose and everything in the world to gain. And if I bid it high enough, I could figure out how to do it if I got the job. And, that, and that's pretty much what I did. Um, I would just bid the projects extremely high, at least in the, I felt like they were extremely high. Um, I had enough meat, enough bone on the meat on the bone to, to push through and figure out how to do the project. And um, just as long as I hired people that had the talents to do what we were selling, um, I really didn't have a lot to worry about. I just had to micromanage them as far as quality and finished product. And that's really how we started the concrete company. Yeah, that's incredible. So, so I guess, let me ask you this. So are you, you're pouring the concrete and finishing the concrete is what you're doing? Yeah, that's, that's what we still do today. We, we got that's... into the decorative concrete market. So okay. a little bit more around like the landscape sector, because we were doing, commercial stuff on golf courses and resorts and we were on the commercial sector and then we were doing residential stuff that was more decorative colored stamped um that that really um is where we started our pillar of, of uh, construction back in the day and it was extremely lucrative still is today that market is still an extremely lucrative market 
course. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So I didn't share with you beforehand, but my dad has been a concrete finisher for pretty much most of his career, over 30 years now. Um, he, he didn't go to college or anything like that. So that's what he's done. And I actually helped him in the summers during high school. So, you know, we're digging the ditches. We are, you know, carrying the steel, laying it out, tying the, the mat, rebar mat, and finishing the concrete, you know, doing all the ditches, everything. So I, I know that industry pretty well. And that was a lot of his motivation. He's like, hey, I want you to do this so you so you know that you want to go to college. Yeah. So you you know you know the deal. You know, um, I'll tell you. Um we make more in one job than uh, most people in a few days than most people make in an entire month uh, going to college. So um, I, I went back to college for, in 1998 after the um, after our multi-level marketing company got shut down. And ironically enough, I only have one year left of, of school. I had taken okay. a four-year sabbatical and I had a hard time staying in class. I finished my degree by the uh, grace of God. But it was, uh, but I was making more money pouring concrete than any right. of my professors will ever make in their entire lives, and uh, in the first year that we were in business, and so hence, you know, we uh, I, I finished my degree, but had no need for it in regards to utilizing it on a professional level to go make money. Um, the concrete industry uh, paid its fair share of of uh, wealth, and it has, and it continues to shed over us today. Certainly. Yeah, I know. That's really, really cool. Um, so let's, let's just keep walking down your resume. Um, so you ended up buying some retail. So at this point, you've got a, a money making machine, you've got a lot of cash flow. So then you start delving into real estate a little bit uh, more actively. So with with retail, kind of what was your strategy? And what were you doing with that? We started doing single family homes um, first, and we had a few okay. rentals that we were buying like they weren't fix and flips. They were like burst strategy type stuff. I didn't know what the hell burst yeah. strategy was back in those days. I was just, I just wanted an asset that uh, if we ever got shut down ever again or something happened, I had something tangible. Um, so I did a few of those in 1999. Um, I hated the, the single family rental homes, but I started building homes and they were profitable. Uh, we were making about $85,000 net profit on each home. We were building them in 120 day builds. So we were building them quick and we were selling yeah. them. We were making lucrative profits and um, we were running this out of my house and our neighbors hated us. They, uh, they took us to court. They told us we had to get out of the, we had to stop running a business out of a residential home. So we were forced into, uh, into finding a facility. When I was in multi-level marketing, we used to lease desk space. Um, so ironically enough, I, I couldn't get good at network marketing at first. So I would rent an office and I'd put desks in there and I would rent desk space for $500 a desk to other people and the other distributors and half a desk for two fifty. And I ended up getting my office space for free because I would lease up desk space and I actually would make a little extra money to make a living. Um, and while I was in multi-level marketing. Now I use that same concept with a construction company. I thought, well, shoot, if I did this with multi-level marketing, I was able to fill offices. I'm going to do the same damn thing. I'm going to buy a building bigger than I need. I'm going to house my equipment in the back. I'm going to have a little office and I'm going to rent the rest of the building out and get other tenants to pay for it for me. And it was literally that simple in my brain. I didn't, I didn't know what a cap rate was. I didn't know anything about real estate. All I knew that if I bought a building bigger than I needed and I rented it to other people, I would take the, the revenue and the rents that they gave me and I would pay the mortgage with that. I didn't care about profits. I didn't care about any of that stuff. Um, all I cared about was being rent free and having a place for my to park my equipment for my business. 
So I bought an old building. I renovated it. And six months later, I had the cathedral completely full. We had a place where we housed our business. We still own that building today. That thing's brought us in millions of dollars in cash flow over the over the last 20 plus years. And um, that was the first one that entered me into the real estate world of commercial real estate. Yeah, wow. That is so cool. Um, you know, so with with all that being said, now now what are you doing today? I know you well, actually, one one last thing. I did want to go over the the Subway franchise ownership. So, how did you kind of get into that? And I, I know you're really successful in that as well. We 2008 hit, and um, we had a lot of new construction, ground up retail that we were building. Um, we evolved into. We had a lot of value add. We evolved into new construction, uh, commercial uh, retail centers, and office buildings. And in 2008, we just got we we got reamed. And um, as a ploy to, of survival, I had, to put, um, I had to put stuff in my buildings. So we started putting in beauty salons in our, in our retail centers. We started buying subway stores and putting those in our retail centers. Um, but I didn't have the bandwidth to run the stores because we were busy. So I needed to create an infrastructure that afforded middle management, um, regional management, that I could uh, have people actually run the stores for me. And the only way I was able to do that because the profitability was so low was volume. So we started buying as many stores as we could. Um, Subway only allowed you one store a year, your first year, two years, second. But we landed up in 13 stores two years. Um, I landed up going out and um, negotiating with Fred DeLuca, the founder up in, in uh, Milford, Connecticut. Um, and so we just went gangbusters buying distressed stores, putting in new stores, and, um, and as we started seeing selling off single family homes from our residential subdivisions, the money that came out of there, because we were building them cash, we deployed into subway stores and uh, we had a great run. We went from 2009 all the way to 2018. So we, you know, we did nine years in the subway franchisee business. Um, we started selling them off in 2016 um, after the Jared incident, uh, Fred DeLuca passed away that year from leukemia. The, the business model changed. They were bringing in new CEOs. Um, it was time. We had our run and it was a good run. Um, but like anything, you know, you got to, like like Kenny Rogers says, you got to know when to, to roll them. You got to know when to fold them. You got you to know when to run, you know, right. and um, it was time. We had our run with, with, uh, with a franchise business. It was great, but it was time for us to migrate out of it and migrate elsewhere. Passive investors in real estate are able to receive a check every month. Some people call that mailbox money. We say money really does grow on trees. Visit the website at biggerpictureholdings.com where we have a ton of free resources to help you learn more about planting your very own money tree. Absolutely. So that, that kind of brings us to the, the modern era, the, the 2023 time frame. So what are you doing today at this point, Jerome? So we're, we still have our concrete company, but our claim to fame right now and what we're predominantly investing in right now is um, ground up, affordable, multi-family housing. So we do a large quantity of uh, ground up construction on multifamily um, development. Um, it's all in the affordable housing sector, though. And uh, when I say affordable, it's not low income. Um, yeah. We're just de-amenitizing de Class A product um, and taking it, competing with Class B rents. And um, producing a brand new Class A product that's that looks, feels, and is uh, palatable like Class A, but it rents at Class B prices because of how we build it. And yeah. so that's what our predominant energy has been going into the last few years since 2016. 
Yeah. I, I really like that, you know, because that's that's kind of a, a niche asset type in class that's not really being done a whole lot. You know, most of the new builds are class A luxury, you know, with the nicest pools and everything like that. And and I think that's really cool they are doing that. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's going to serve us well, especially in this current mm -hmm. market that we're in right now. Um, I think the class A is going to get smashed for a couple of years. I think we're going to see a little blood in the water with high interest rates. There's too much construction going on right now. Um, all this, all this class A product is going to come to the market all at the exact same time. There's going to um, owners are going to have a hard time stabilizing their assets. Um, I think it'll even affect us in the affordable sector for a short time. But what's cool is that our build cost to do is is substantially lower. Um, and our rents are, uh, people are going to migrate from that type of product down to our type of product. They still want someplace new to live, but they want it at a better price. We can offer them that. So as much as we'll fill it, um, we're going to fill it substantially less. And I think we're in a great marketplace right now. That's why we built it this way. Yeah, absolutely. What, what markets do you guys like to build in for that product? We have stuff in Washington state. We have, um, we're, we're, we're bullish in the uh, Phoenix area and um, surrounding cities um, we're also in the in the dallas fort worth area uh, we're here in new mexico the you know the real rancho market um, santa fe market i think the santa fe market's going to get crushed right now um, so we we're in a few different markets yeah that's awesome so kind of to summarize everything that we've talked about you know you've been successful in sales you've been successful in owning a lot of different businesses and you've been successful in real estate but the key to all of those things was was liquidity and and cash flow so you know why do you why do you like multifamily and and what are some of the ways that you've kept liquidity uh for those of us that that want to be passive and active investors you know that um i i i always kept liquidity in our subdivisions i always built them cash um it was an easier the reason I, the main reason I did that is I was able to build fast. Everything was about volume and production. And so I, I didn't have to worry about loans. I didn't have to worry about getting bottlenecked. I didn't have to worry about not touching my land until the loan was, was, uh, was um, mature so that that way I could, I could turn dirt. I was able to go gangbusters in the construction industry by building cash. Um, and I just kept revolving that capital. Um, that was like our saving grace in everything that happened in 2008. But I was debt heavy in assets um, or what I thought was assets, which actually ended up being liabilities at that time. Um, so you've got to learn how to how to leverage yourself. So there's a few things that 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 I did that served as purpose and I still do today. I also made massive changes. Um, I didn't go big enough, fast enough in 2008. That was part of the problem. I was I was too small. There was like this really unsafe um, area in between small and large that um, I tell people to get out of. I, I, th I thought it was a sweet spot um, that we were uh, that we were in. I, I used to build assets right around $8 million. And, um, and it's a very not safe place to be. Um, it's small. It's too small to have big institutional money by, but it's, it's big enough to get you in trouble. And so we started building big assets right after that. We started going, and I didn't know, it was a migration. It took from about 2009 till about 2012 to figure this out. So it took about three years. And then 2012, I didn't know how the hell to grow to something big. So from 2012 to 2016, I was trying to figure out how to scale large. By 2016, I figured it out. And um, that's where we really scaled big into assets that we were building that are 
30 million, 50 million, 60 million dollar um, properties that we build and hold. And the liquidity is great because the banks love it because it shows our strength as an, as an owner, but we need the debt. Like you can't grow without debt. You have right, to take absolutely. that massive debt to do, to grow. And so you have to uh, have a little bit of both. And, and you can't, for some people that are watching that are new, they're sitting back scratching their head going, well, how the hell do you do that? Uh, you got to stay focused on something. And the one thing that we did right is the, I told you before we started the podcast, I, the day I started the concrete company is the day I wanted out of it. And somehow the business I hated the most is still with us today. And it's been one of the biggest assets that we've owned. Um, it served its purpose. And it's uh, sometimes, you know, you want to cut off your, you want to sever your uh, right arm um, to be, to go out and do something. And it's been, if I would have done that, we would have bled to death um, in multiple times. And so the concrete company gave us the, the financial means to enter into the single family residential home uh, space. The single family residential home space gave us the cash flow on a larger scale to scale into um, commercial real estate. Um, it's been our saving grace. We still build homes today. Um, you know, we don't build as many as we used to, but it's nice to have a million dollars that you build out on a few on a handful of homes that you're profiting from, and you take that million dollars and flush it into an asset. Um, so that's how we've done it. Uh, we've dumped a lot of money in the stock market. Um, and the reason I, I use the stock market as a tool is because my money makes me money there. Um, we've averaged about 12% a year on blue chip stocks, all dividend paying. That's all we'll buy. I just bought some Johnson & Johnson yesterday because they just settled their class action lawsuit on health powder. Johnson & Johnson's not going anyplace. And it got beat up through their math class action lawsuit. So we'll take, I'll look at stuff like this. You know, Bank of America, when the banks were getting pounded a few weeks ago, um, I, Bank of America, big banks, they're not going anywhere. You know, we need banks in this country. Mm -hmm. So I bought a ton of Bank of America because their stocks were down 30%. And these are dividend paying stocks that are good, solid blue chip stocks that are going to be around forever. And so I take that money and I, I borrow against it. And so it isn't like I, I, I have, it isn't like I have money that's not liquid. It's liquid through the fact that I could borrow against my own money. I pay a premium on it. You know, we're paying five to 7% interest depending on where interest rates are. But if it makes me 12%, I'm still making 5% on my money. Yeah. And I could take that money and invest it in real estate. So we're, we're diverse in, in a lot of different things. But our claim to fame is um, our ground up multifamily. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that you, you brought that up. You know, I always like to hear strategies of, of ways to borrow against assets that you already have. You know, I think that's just super wise. And obviously, you don't want to over leverage. But, you know, if you're able, able to capture a delta on what you're paying in interest versus what you're you're making all that money. That's it's a no brainer in my eyes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All day long. All day long. Well, I've got, I've got two more questions for you, Jerome. So one, uh, what's a lesson learned or something that you would have done differently specifically with real estate? Uh, maybe a mistake that you've made or a deal that you wish you would have done or a deal that you've done that you wish you would not have done. Um, and then one more for you after that. So uh, where do the mistakes not, uh, they don't end, man. I, I still make them today. Um, I, I live a life of ongoing mistakes, right? Um, you know, we, um, we we learn how to pivot well. But I, I'd say that probably, um, you know, our wins obviously outweigh um, some of the mistakes that we've made. And, and everybody out there, you're going to make mistakes. You just have to be willing to pallet them and um, minimize and mitigate risk and minimize um, the really bad mistakes. Um, we've been blessed in the fact that I think we've done a lot right. 
um, where I would have, I made the biggest mistake, especially pre 2008. And I tell people this all the time is there is a business behind growing and becoming massive. And I missed that boat for over a decade. And if I had to do over again, the large, the biggest mistake I made was not going big fast enough. Um, it's a safer place to play. Um, I didn't realize that in early years, I thought it was a very unsafe place to play. I didn't know how to get there. Uh, but it's, it, it is crucial that you go big in this industry. Um, it's safer. It's uh, and it's just a better place to be. I wish I would have went, I wish I would have went big earlier in my earlier years and it would have saved me a lot of, of stress and, and um, anxiety from uh, doing things wrong early years. That would probably be the one thing that I would have done um, differently is I would have figured out how to go big in the early 2000s instead of just playing in a safe field that I felt I, that I felt I was bullish in. Oh yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, I want to end on a really high note. I always give each uh, guest an opportunity just to hype themselves up and talk about their proudest accomplishments. And that can be, you know, family, that can be real estate, it can be business, just, you know, what, what are you most proud of uh, so far? Uh, I, I'm just, you know what, I'm proud to be here. I, I, it, it takes a little bit of everything. Um, obviously, my family holds the presidents of my heart. You know, I am, um, my kids, um, they're in a, they're, they're, my son's in high school years now, my daughter's in middle school, and just watching them groom his kids. Um, I think my biggest accomplishment hasn't been made yet, um, I, when my, I'm hopeful that my biggest accomplishment is, is that I've created kids. And I told my wife when they were born, this will be our true testament of whether what we do and what we teach is really um, viable and, um, and what we're doing it, um, really can make a difference in someone's lives. We'll start at our own home. And so, um, you know, obviously I'm very proud of my kids, so I'll brag about them all day long. Um, you know, I think as parents, we all do that. And I think you should. But, um, you know, I, hopefully my greatest accomplishments is in their eyes. And so we'll, we'll see what that the test of time um, does in that regards. God willing, we've done a good job raising them. And, and um, hopefully they'll gravitate to, and hold on to some of the accolades that we've uh, taught them and, um, and achieve those accolades in the process of their lives. So, so we'll see, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, just if we raise them to be good kids and good humans, I think we've won. And, um, and so that's the goal, you know, those accolades speak higher, this stuff, you don't take it to the grave with you, but it's a great, it's a, it's, it's, it's a great run while you're here, man. I mean, I love the game. I love the challenges. It's, it's fun. It, really means, it really means nothing. You don't take it to the grave with you. Like I said, you know, you just, uh, but if we can pass it on to the next generation and help change their lives and the, and, uh, the next generation's lives, then we've done our job here. Well, Jerome, it's, it's been a pleasure having you today, man. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, William, uh, props to you, brother. Really appreciate you having me on the show. Um, thank you, and God bless all of you, all of you watchers out there. Like and subscribe below. A new episode will air every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Are you looking for more content? Visit our website, biggerpictureholdings.com. And remember, money really does grow on trees.